So good to see you guys. So good to see you guys at the beach, wherever you are. Nobody told me that this was, I'm, I'm still fairly new here. Nobody told me this was go to the beach weekend. So we're going to preach to the beach <laughs> and to the gray chairs, but it's so good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Brandon, if you are new with us. And today we're going to finish up our series in Esther. So you can go to Esther chapter four. If you want to get ahead, we're going to be in Esther chapter four. So, so far, we look, in week one, we looked at, the, at a major theme from the first half of the book of Esther, and we saw that God is always working for the good of his people. Week two, we saw a major theme from the second half of the book of Esther, and we saw that God is a God of restoration, that he is a God that makes things new. This week, we are going to see how those truths impact our lives as we live in this current moment. What does it mean for us in the great chair or at the beach to be part of the work that God is doing, to be part of the story that God is writing in the world? What does it mean for us to live in light of the most famous phrase in the book of Esther for such a time as this? How should we think about, based on what we've learned about God and Esther, what should we think about our such a time as this. And before we answer this question, I'm going to change the tone of the morning a little bit uh, to get us thinking in the same direction with some cartoon failures. So some cartoons in our culture do get things wrong, and I want to give you an example. This is from Tarzan. Lives in Africa, learns English from an English woman, but somehow speaks in an American accent. That's, that's not right. Or this one from Cinderella, the prince from Cinderella says you're the love of his life, but forgets what you look like and has to put a shoe on every girl in the kingdom. I had never thought about this before till I saw this. How did he even think the stepsisters might be the right one by feet alone? It makes no sense. Here's the next one from the cartoon Jake and the Neverland Pirates. I will admit I've seen many episodes of this when my kids were younger, uh, it's actually pretty great. But in this instance, the cartoon literally says the opposite of the truth, doesn't it? A good pirate never takes another person's property. No, no. They definitely do that. For sure, pirates take people's property. It is what it means to be a pirate. So sometimes our cartoon cultural messages are not just wrong. They have things that are opposite of the truth. We're getting closer to the point here with this in mind. One last example that shows that sometimes the messages of our cultures, they're dangerous. And where is a better place to look for dangerous messages than in the cute cartoon Sophia the First? When my girls were young, this cartoon actually led to many gospel, I'm not joking, led to many gospel conversations in our house. Because Sophia, it's an adorable show. But she sweetly and passionately preaches the opposite message that Jesus preaches. And she does it basically every episode. But I want to give you one specific example. Listen to these lyrics from Stronger Than You Know from Sophia the First. The kids are tapped in so far today. Good job. I'm glad because you need to hear this. Stronger Than You Know from Sophia the First. It doesn't matter what they say, whoever they are. There's only one voice to obey, and it's that little voice inside, so let that be your guide, and you can save the day, but they're singing at this point, because you're stronger than you know, stronger, you know, 
And little girls everywhere, I've paused the show with my girls to say, that's not true. You can't believe that. And now we've gotten to the point, because listen to the voice inside, you can save the day is a message all over Sophia, all over our cartoons, all over our narratives in our world today. And there's all kinds of different phrases, and I won't recount all of them to you, but they're pointing to the same message that everything you need is inside of you. We live in a time where much of the canon of cultural conversation says that you're the answer. If you follow yourself, if you follow your desires, you can save the day. But here's the thing. Our culture preaches that message without really showing the results of that message. Uh, They don't make Disney movies about somebody following their heart to a meth addiction. You won't find the script. There's no Pixar film about... The guy who follows his heart through four divorces and five mistresses, just looking for it, just looking for it. The counterculture message of the Bible is that we are broken people who can't give ourselves what we want. And our stories ignore that by not telling the whole story. We put happily ever after on the screen, don't we? But we know it isn't reality. In real life, sleeping beauty gets old and loses her beauty. In real life, Cinderella gets divorced and moves in with her aunt in Shelbyville. (sighs) I don't know. The popular message of our current cultural moment is that you are the answer. And the Bible would say it doesn't work. And human history would say it doesn't work. But it's actually possible for us to read that into this book that we've been studying for the last few weeks. We have in this story an amazing heroine in Esther. We've seen her be brave. We've seen that when her people, the Jews, were facing, they were threatened with extermination in the ancient Persian, into your royal position for such a time as this. We saw in the first week that God had been working sovereignly in the background the whole time. She was the queen that her people needed to be, she was the queen at this time that her people needed to be saved, so it would be understandable if we read into this story uh, through the modern American lens and missed the whole point of the story. You could do that. Here in our context, we would see a story of conflict and danger, and we would read the line, for such a time as this, Esther, and you can already imagine the Instagram comments. You go, Esther! Right? Right? This is your shot, Esther. You have main character energy, Esther. (laughs) But the problem is, didn't we just spend the last two weeks and countless words understanding that God is the main character of this story and God is the main character of everything. God is the one who works and restores. So we live in a you can do. So how should we think about our such a time as this? Let's read the pivotal paragraph of the book of Esther again and see. This is Esther 4, beginning in verse 13. We're going to read through 5-2. We read this week 1. We've basically been kind of unpacking both sides of it for the last two weeks. Let's read it again. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther. So remember, she's already... The, the Haman has already put forth the plot to kill all the Jews. They've realized it. Mordecai's shredded his clothes, sackcloth and ash in the middle of the square. Y'all remember all that. 
He said to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Here it is. Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. But watch Esther's reply. She sends this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. On the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing and stood in the inner courtyard of the palace facing it. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the royal courtroom facing its entrance. As soon as the king saw Queen Esther standing in the courtroom, she gained favor with him for such a time as this. Okay? So... There's life or death need. Esther is there for such a time as this. But here's the first thing that we need to believe if we're to understand this story and our lives and this world. We can't save the day. It's as plain as day, and we're going to see it. In spite of all the movies that we've seen, all the stories we've read, the beautiful message of Esther and of the whole Bible is the specifics. Look, look at the specifics of how Esther reacted to this cataclysmic, like genocide level problem that she faced. She said, fast for me. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. Then she says this, on the third, then it says this, on the third day, Esther dressed in her royal clothing stood in the inner courtyard of the palace. So let me kind of give you the, the snapshot. Esther's people are about to be murdered. Esther needs to go before the king. And this is her response. Desperate fasting, which implies desperate prayer. Esther doesn't say, I've got this. In fact, she says, I don't even know if I'm going to perish. If I perish, I don't know if I'm going to live. Esther fasted and wondered if she was going to die. She was brave, but that's what she did. She fasted and wondered if she was going to die, if this began to break out. And a monta- we'd see a montage of, of push-ups and debate training, and slowly over the course of several scenes, the competence would grow and the confidence would grow, and Queen Esther, Princess Sophia, would bust into the king's throne room and just win him over with wit and will. She prayed people. That's the theme of our culture. But what Esther did, she prayed, she put on her clothes, she went and stood in the yard hoping she wouldn't die. That's what she did. It's it's an amazing story, but that's what Esther did. That's about... And honestly, guys, that's about all any of us can do. We live in a you-got-this-you-can-be-anything culture, but don't we know deep down that that's not true? Esther knew. It was much easier last week to know in her culture than for us to know in our culture. She was powerless, as we talked about last week. Powerless. And to try to help us either remember this 
or to be convinced of this truth that we don't have what it takes to save the day. Let's look at uh, four foundational needs or four foundational desires that we have as humans. I learned about, you can apply these in, in so many contexts, but I learned about these from Christian leaders, David Pallison and Tim Keller. And you can call them core needs or root desires, but these are four things that God's word and human experience have shown that we are constantly pursuing. You're going to recognize them immediately. You're going to recognize that Esther didn't have them. And I think you'll see that we aren't all that our culture says we are. Here's the four, four core categories. Power, control, comfort, and approval. Let's look at these as a way to understand that we, like Esther, can't actually save any days that need to be saving. So, power. Power is the desire for influence or for importance. We want people to respect us. We want people to follow us. If we can get power, honestly, we can kind of get the other three on the list that we want. So, I have three little girls they're amazing. You wouldn't believe the number of plays and concerts that have happened in my house over the last many years. They're, they're fading. They're not as frequent in these days. But I'll never forget, we talk about it all the time, one specific performance that happened in my house. Uh, it fell apart because someone decided that her role wasn't important enough. Chaos. A dance routine in the living room devolved into utter chaos. Because one of the girls started crying that she wanted to be the mermaid. That was the position of importance in this particular play. That's all of us. The heart that we are born with wants to be the mermaid. We want to be so important and so powerful. But look at me, black men. Look at me, black men at the beach. You can't be the mermaid. We can chase power, but we, can't, we can never really have it. We can pursue importance, but it's only a facade in the end. You know what the Bible says about the power we crave? Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream in the hand of the Lord. He turns it however we will. Church, there's a sovereign God, as we've clearly seen the last two weeks looking at Esther. Power can only be borrowed power in the first place. And listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 15 through 16. It says, I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to become king. There was no end of all the people he led, yet those who will come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and striving after the wind. Not only, the Bible is saying, not only is power borrowed, but it's empty and it can't last. You don't get to keep it. James 4.14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We'll be gone in a moment. We are weak, not strong. We are vapors, not victorious ones. For such a time as this, we, like Esther, are powerless on our own. What about control? Control is the desire to have everything go according to our plans. Another uh, word for this root desire is security. I used to have a mountain bike that I used literally one time, not on a paved road. I was convinced that I had what it takes to be a mountain biker. Truly, I believed it. 
I'm fairly coordinated. How hard can it be? And I'm not exaggerating. Literally the moment, the first moment that I went for the first time from an unpaved path, from a paved path to an unpaved path, I slid, flipped over the handlebars, landed on my head and shoulder. It hurt a lot. I never tried it again. My daughter kept asking me if I was going to die. But here's the thing. I didn't know. I didn't know. I told her, I don't think so. And isn't that all we have? Isn't that amazing? You could wreck, we don't know what's going to happen. You could wreck your bike tomorrow. You could choke on your lunch today. I know I'm bringing you so much encouragement. (laughs) We want control because we don't know what might ruin our lives or what might end our lives. But there is no such thing as control for us. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Luke 12.25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Maybe you will die two seconds into your mountain biking career. We don't get to decide. So in a way, in a way, all of our lives are echoing Esther's words, if I perish, I perish. We don't have control. Okay, so those two aren't going to do it. Let's try the, the root desire of comfort. This is the desire for pleasure. This may be the most obvious dead end because we don't all get power, but we all get enough comfort to know there's never enough comfort. The reason that there are drug addicts is that there is never, there's no such thing as enough pleasure. Yesterday, someone in this room was going to watch one episode of Netflix and they watched 10. And it's happened to every single one of us. We've all had that day. And we all know at the end of that day that it didn't work. There is a deficiency inside of us that no amount of Netflix or sex or food or anything else can fill. Here's what the Bible says about desire in Ecclesiastes 2.10. This was King Solomon. He said, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. All we can find by ourselves is emptiness. Guys, there was no comfort Esther could have given herself that would have been enough, could have given her people that would have been enough, because human comfort is ultimately an illusion. So we've got one more shot, the desire for approval. This isn't going to work either. This is the longing to be accepted, the longing to be desired, and this may be one that all of us, struggle with or have struggled with. We want to be approved. We want to be deeply, completely accepted. We want somebody to know us all the way, to thoroughly understand us and still say, you're enough. Still say, I delight in you. But how much of that is enough? And even if there was enough, it can't last because we can't last. We know that's true. But there's something on this one at a deeper level that shows the hopelessness of this need that we all share. You know what it is? We touched on this in our Sunday school class a little bit at least. 
we know that we shouldn't be approved. We want to be justifiably desired, but we know ourselves too well. In my most, that's my wife right there. I'm going to talk about her more at the end. She's lovely and amazing. In my most honest moments, I know she should not love me unconditionally. My best moments have brokenness all over them. Sin, selfishness, posturing for acceptance to some degree. And that's true of all of us. Isaiah 64, 6 says, prepare your hearts, goodness. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Romans 3, 11 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. Good morning. There is no one who does good, not even one. That would make a terrible Disney song. But hopefully you're getting the point. For such a time as this doesn't mean what we often think it means. It isn't saying you can be enough for this moment because the opposite is true. You can't be enough for this moment. Esther is to be admired and will be forever for her willingness, for her courage. But Esther couldn't really save the day. She couldn't summon the power, the control, the approval, the comfort to overcome the enemy. All she could do was pray, get dressed, stand in the right place, and hope she didn't die. That's us. Just like her, we can't save the day. It's a lot of potentially disappointing news so far. Especially for our such a time as this. But here's point number two. With Jesus, we can change the world anyway. It's the stunning reality of the Christian life. Sub sub Jesus in for God the Father, and that's the stunning message of Esther. We can't save the day, but with Jesus, we can change the world anyway. Because remember what we saw in week one. God is always working for the good of his people. That means... In our such a time as this moment, even though we are weak, victory is possible because of him. And and we read so many verses of his restoration last week of of the theme of him making making things from the first half of Esther new and remade and, and restored in the second half of Esther. Here's one of them that we read again. Just one example. Esther 9 1. The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. On the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. But it wasn't because Esther was powerful. She had no power. She was the queen the king ignored It wasn't because she had such wise control of the situation. She could not even control whether she could stand before the king and live to tell about it. It wasn't because of her ability to bring comfort or her ability to bring approval. She couldn't do it. The message of Esther is that if God had not stepped in to save the day, the people would have perished. If God had not worked to rescue his people, they could not have rescued themselves 
but God was working behind the scenes. But God gave his power in place of Esther's weakness. God used his control, not her helplessness. God brought comfort into the chaos. He gave his approval where there would have been judgment. Here's the book of Esther in 13 words. Death was coming. Esther was hoping. God was working. The people were saved. The people were saved. Death was coming. Esther was hoping. God was working. The people were saved. Guys, that is the gospel. Romans 5, 6. Speaking not just of Jews in ancient Persia, but of all people of humanity, says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Just like in Esther, Jesus, for such a time as this, went to the cross, didn't he? Just like in Esther, God did what people couldn't do. He took all of our sin. He took all of our brokenness. He put it on himself in a cross, died on our place at the cross so that we could have life instead of death. But watch, because that's not all he did. And this is huge for us to understand as we want to know how to approach life in our for such a time as this moment. Jesus didn't just take our sin. He replaced our sin with his perfection. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that means that when we believe in Jesus, when we accept his rescue, not only does he take away everything we were, he gives us everything we weren't. Here's what this means for Christian living here for such a time as this moment. Jesus not only died so that you wouldn't have to die, he did it so that he could give you the things you couldn't give yourself. Because guess what? It's one of my favorite truths of Christianity. When we are in Jesus, we get the things we wanted most but couldn't have anyway. We want power? Jesus said in John 14, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. We can do the works of Jesus. The power of God is in our chest and it's a power that will last forever. 2 Timothy 2.11 says, if we died with Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That's power we can keep. We're gonna reign with Jesus, power hungry people. We want control, security. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us everything? If you skip ahead, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. For in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What's more secure in that? To be unshakably held in the love of God himself. We want comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. The God of the universe says to you in Christ, I will be your great comforter. And we want approval. We want it so much, and we, we know, we know on our own we shouldn't have it. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by our sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be the sin offering. So he condemned your sin, my sin in sinful flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fully, fully, fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So in Jesus, we get everything he is and everything that we're not. I think it's pretty cool. So the beautiful irony of living in this world is that if we, if we look for power, control, comfort, security, we'll never find them. They can't, they can't be found by looking for them. But when we recognize that, and we look for Jesus, and we follow Jesus, and we enjoy Jesus, we find in him all the things we stopped looking for. Isn't that amazing? You can't save the day, but you can have Jesus and everything he is, and he can save anything. He can work in you to make things new. I'm going to use my wife as an example of what this looks like. So I'm almost done. You did it, guys. Uh, a modern-day Esther, except for the genocide thing. So most of you know my wife is a Christian author. She's written a bunch of books. She's got a Bible study literally launching this week. Very, I guess it's still exciting. I don't, I guess, I, it's still exciting? But she travels and she speaks and, and it's, she gets to minister to thousands and thousands of, of women and it's all very cool. But I know the truth. <laughs> She's Esther. I've been here the whole time. I know you. So I know it's really Jesus. This is everybody's testimony that does anything for the Lord. We can't save the day. But in Jesus, we could change the world anyway. I knew Scarlett 15 years ago when she was so afraid of everything that she could barely leave the house. I knew the powerless version of Scarlett. I knew the out-of-control, comfort-seeking, the approval-starved Scarlett. And she didn't montage herself. <laughs> she didn't work herself into a better place. I was there. I watched Jesus change her. I watched it. Steadily. This is how it works for all of us. Steadily. Jesus convinced our hearts, convinced Scarlett's heart so that she could never have the things she was looking for without him. And so I've gotten to watch her follow Jesus for a long time now. She struggles. This week. She struggles. And then she reads God's word. And then she tries to obey what it says. And over the years, I've seen the power and the comfort and the approval of Jesus spill out of her life. I'm happy to say that like Queen Esther, Scarlet is a regular broken woman God has used to do miracles in people's lives. That's what he offers all of us. Jesus was enough for Esther such a time as this. 
Jesus was enough for Scarlet such a time as this. He is the answer for yours too. He's the only thing that's enough. He, Jesus, this is the way to think about it. Jesus put you where you are for a reason, knowing you're not the answer. That he through you can be the answer. He wants to make you like him so that he can accomplish his wonderful work in you. That's actually... Uh, our, this, the teaching series that we're going to start next week is going to be on sanctification. It's going to be a, essentially a theological study called Becoming Like Jesus. What does God do and what do we do as he makes us, as we makes us into his image and as he uses us? But before we go today, I want to give us the opportunity to respond. We're going to worship, we're going to worship our, our, our Savior together, our Rescuer. And you're going to have the opportunity to pray with one of our leaders um, and if there is two things, if there is, if you're in your such a time as this moment, what, what would God have me do? We would love to pray with you. Or if you recognize one of those four desires as, uh, something that you are seeking outside of Jesus that you can never be satisfied, we would love to, we would love to partner with you in prayer that, that God will redirect your heart towards Jesus's enoughness. So we'll invite you to the front uh, to pray as we stand, and I'm going to pray for us before we sing. Father, I do thank you for those here and those online. I do thank you for the life-changing, universe-changing work of the gospel, and I pray that we would believe it. I pray that we would learn more of it. God, I pray that we would see all that the gospel gives us that we can't have any other way. And I do pray that it would transform us into your likeness from one degree of glory to another, slowly but steadily, would the kingdom of heaven grow up around us? Would we see the fruit of the Spirit? Would we see your love and your comfort flowing through our lives? God, I even pray for these young ones in the room right now. God, I pray that you would be steadily already drawing them to yourself, putting the things in front of them, the difficulties and the joys that will move them to make them more like you. And I pray that there would be some truly powerful and satisfied followers of you in the younger generation in this room right now, in the years to come. God, we want to put our desires at your feet, and we want to put our for such a time as this at your feet, knowing that you are worthy and you are enough. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.